This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Bob Hughes is the guest speaker on this message. But it's important to give a bit of context before we look at the specifics, isn't it? And if, if I had enough time and I don't this morning, what I'd love to do is back up and look at the whole picture of the book of Colossians that begins with this amazing, grand, overarching panorama of God's purpose in Christ to transform heaven and earth for the glory of Jesus Christ and what life's all about for those of us that are in Christ how we're seated with him in heavenly places. Somehow there's this mystery that we're, we're here on earth in these bodies, and yet at the same time, we're citizens of heaven called to live a heavenly life in a fallen world. So that's another time, but you should, you should read the whole book of Colossians and ponder and let it transform your understanding of what matters, and who you are in the context of that. Uh, I'm gonna just share a very simple message this morning. I'm a simple guy, I do simple. And our, our topic this morning is becoming whole life disciples. Becoming whole life disciples. And I'm gonna have two main points. The first one is this, becoming whole disciples, becoming whole disciples, and then number two, becoming whole disciples in the whole of life. There's a lot of holes in this message, aren't there, okay? Becoming whole disciples in the whole of life. And I hope you'll just, I hope that'll be sticky in your mind, you'll be able to take that away and, and remember it a bit. I wanna use a very simple drawing to illustrate uh, what I'm talking about. And these are very simple concepts, but it will take you your entire life to apply these things, okay? So it isn't about what you know, it's about who you are and how these truths are transforming you from the inside out. To become whole life disciples, we need to be whole disciples. Followers of Jesus who are becoming all that God intended for us in Christ. It's about working out what God is working within by his grace through the gospel. And it it isn't easy. It's, It's the great inner battle of life to engage our whole person and bring the whole of life into alignment with the gospel. And becoming whole disciples involves three core areas. The first is this, our hearts, our hearts. Becoming whole life disciples in the whole of life involves hearts. Our hearts need gospel transformation. Our hearts need gospel transformation. The heart is a fascinating, mysterious part of how God designed us. The heart is made up of our our deepest motives, our, our deep longings and desires. The prophet Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? So there's a lot of mystery about the heart. King Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived, after Jesus, okay, um, he said that above all else, 
that we should guard or watch our heart, for from our heart springs the wellsprings of life. We need to keep an eye on our heart. You, you don't dare believe the best about your heart because your heart is very tricky, okay? And, and we can simplistically think, uh, I've invited Jesus into my heart and everything, I'm good now, right? I've invited Jesus into my heart, but, but the challenge is this, that the battle has just begun when we invite Jesus into our heart because we've been living an entire lifetime of inviting other little G gods into our heart and there's gonna be a rumble going on in our heart to, to find out who's gonna own all of us, whose passions, whose desires are gonna consume us. And the great thing is Jesus wants all of us. He wants all of you. And he's like a good husband who wants all of his sweetheart's heart. He's not gonna settle until he has all of you. John Calvin, the famous reformer said that the heart is an idol factory. That we don't just worship little wooden gods that we set up on our mantle in our living room. It's not that kind of idolatry in our modern culture, but there are idols within our hearts. There are idols in this culture that we make all kinds of sacrifices to all the time, aren't there? There's idols in our hearts that, that want to tell us what to do, and then they want to help us to rationalize why that's the right thing to do uh, in doing that, okay? And though we're all unique, we live in a unique culture in Frisco, in North Dallas, that really thrives on a few classic idols, idols in our culture. And this, this one you think, can this be? And I would say, yes, this can be. There's the idol of the American dream. The idol of the American dream. And it's a dream of comfort. It's a dream of prosperity. It's a dream of lots of stuff. It's a dream of being anything you want to be and doing anything you want to do. And it is, it can be, it. now, there are parts of it that are great. In, in, in any area, the problem isn't necessarily enjoying a certain value system. It's loving it too much. It's holding on to it too much. It's finding our identity in that rather than our relationship with Jesus and the gospel. And so one of the idols is the American dream. But, but we had a conversation with Mayor Masso not too long ago, and he said, you know what the number one challenge is in our community? These beautiful homes with these happy well-groomed, well-dressed people are one paycheck away from bankruptcy. You guys need to do something to help people with their financial world. Another idol in our culture is personal significance. I wanna live a life of personal significance. And yet, the drive for personal significance can consume so much of our lives that the other areas of life that really matter, that really matter to God, that others are depending on us for get dropped in our pursuit of personal significance. Another idol of our culture is personal autonomy. I wanna live my own life, my own way, do what I want when I want. I like to be alone, I like to kinda of have my 
my margin of space there, but we live in a society that is terribly lonely and people don't have true friendships where they really talk about the true stuff of life. It's shallow, it's meaningless, it's a dead end. And all of these issues, we go on and on, there's all kinds of idols in our culture, but they're all issues of our heart, aren't they? And becoming whole disciples involves having our whole heart transformed by the gospel. And we see here in our, in our scripture in Colossians 3, 12 and 13, that as new creations in Christ, we're charged to both put off the old ways of life and to put on compassion, a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, all of these beautiful Christ-like gospel attributes. And, and guess why we're being charged to put them on? is because we don't want to, to do that. We have hearts that rage in the other direction, don't we? We, we, don't, we don't do those things automatically. There's a battle going on for our heart. And apart from Christ's work in us, we're fundamentally selfish people. We're not naturally compassionate. We want, we want everybody to immediately be aware of the unique stuff that we're going through and to really feel for us, but we're not even aware of what others are going through, right? That's, that's all of our nature. And again, apart from the work of Christ, we're a mess, okay? But the great news, and this is the wonder of it all, if, if you're in Christ, we're new creations, the old is gone. All things are new and all things are of Christ. There's a power transformation of our lives that's going on to move us from one kingdom into another and to have our hearts transformed to be in alignment with God's heart. In verse 14, it says, above all, put on love. Love, that, that's another, man, if you, if you go to the movies, if you listen to songs, if you look to our culture to get a definition of love, you're gonna end up with something way goofy, right? It's gonna end up being a very selfish, emotional, self-serving, uh, I don't know, it's weird, okay? Love is a strange word for guys, but it, it helps to know that, that real love is not about emotions, it's not about feelings. Uh, love, here's the biblical definition of love. Love is, is unbelievably wonderful. Love is the costly personal sacrifice of something to serve the good of another the costly personal sacrifice of something meaningful to serve somebody else. Love is putting the needs of others ahead of my own needs and interests at personal cost, at personal cost. Love is costly. And the reason love is so amazing is because it reflects the heart of the gospel that God so loved people like you and me. Uh, who don't deserve love, that he gave his son to rescue us. And because Jesus loved us first, we can learn what love is and we can learn to love others and to make personal sacrificial decisions for the good of other people uh, because we've been loved in that way. We wanna be like the savior. The, a gospel-hearted person is called to excel in acts of self-sacrificial love. 
And the, the reason we're called to be a people of love is because it reflects God's heart. We love and uh, we love the Savior who loved us, and He lives in us now, and so we want to re- reflect His character. And you want to you want to have an impact on the people around you. Typically, whenever you think of the term evangelism, there's some kind of irritating, pushy communication of the gospel. But the gospel is love, and you want to get people's attention. Start making personally costly sacrificial decisions for the good of the people around you at home and in your various areas of life. And you'll get people's attention and you won't even have to start the conversation. You do that on a regular basis and you're gonna have all kinds of people asking you, what is with you? What is with you? But it isn't just words, right? It's, it's actions of self-sacrificial loving and serving for the good of other people. And becoming whole disciples means having our hearts transformed by the gospel to reflect the heart of our Lord. Okay, so that's, that's our first little corner there. The next corner is our head. We've got our heart and now we've got our head. We need gospel renewed minds, don't we? To, to be whole life disciples, to be whole disciples, we need gospel renewed minds, which affects the way we think and the way we discern things in our lives. Our mind is where we gather the data that tells what's right and wrong, what's true and false, what's valuable, what's worthless in our lives. And our mind provides the lens that we look through into the world to interpret what's meaningful and what's not, what's ultimate reality. We're all, most of us, familiar with the term worldview, right? We all have a worldview. We all have a set of beliefs or premises through which we evaluate life. And a worldview tells us how things should be, what's wrong in the world, and what has to happen to fix it. What should be, what's wrong, and what will fix it. And God's, uh, we, we live in a culture, there's a, a, a well-known sociologist that is known among sociologists and not well-known around people like us, who calls the overwhelming narrative of our culture expressive individualism expressive individualism. And what expressive individualism is, it it means this, that life is all about me, and life is all about me having more, and life is all about me having more, more of the time, and especially now, okay? Me, more, and now. That is basically expressive individualism. Life is all about me. But God's word presents a very different narrative of what a life well-lived looks like. And it says this, that life is not about me at all, but my life is for the glory of God and the good of other people. That life is not about consuming, but that 
Life is about being like my, my father who is generous. And it's about the joy of giving our lives away for other people. And that life's not about now but that it's about the reality of a day to come when every one of us are gonna stand face to face before the Lord Jesus Christ. And hopefully we're gonna hear those, those precious words, well done. And so wise people, if we're not careful, if we don't get our worldview right, we're gonna live stupid. And we're gonna have a lot of regrets. And we're gonna make decisions that are gonna take us places that we don't wanna go. And you don't want to wait until the end to look back and see whether those decisions were good or not. That's why God's given us his word. And uh, we, we desperately need God's word. The narrative that we buy into determines our life's choices, resulting in the fruit of those choices. And to live well, we must live our lives from a biblically rooted, gospel-centered worldview of life. Colossians 3 again, we just turn to 3 verse 16, it tells us this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. A couple key words here. Let the word of Christ dwell. Dwell. It means make the word at home in you. It's a part of everything. The word of God dwells in us. It means it, it's, it's, it's here to stay. And it dwells on us in, in all the different areas of life. The word is central to every part of our lives. It abides in all of our thinking. It's always there. And then the second thing is here, let the, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. That means a lot of it. You need a lot of it. You can't have your mind transformed to a gospel-centered perspective of reality, living on spiritual crackers and water. We need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It means we need to make priority for it. We need to find time for it. It's our very life. If we don't get that right, we're gonna get everything else wrong. We can't make it on crackers and water. We need the word. We need to know the word of God. We need to know God's big story. We need to know the overarching story of the gospel, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. God's overarching purpose that he will fulfill in Christ. Because if we don't know that, we're not gonna know how our life aligns with what's gonna be the ultimate storyline of eternity. You need to know the big story because then you can check in regularly and say, is my life lining up with the big story? If it isn't, we, we need to make changes. We've gotta make adjustments along the way, don't we? So we need to know the big story. We need the big story to inform our little story. But we also need the details of scripture to inform our, our thinking in all of the specific areas of life. What, is, what does the scripture say about my time, how to use my time wisely. What's the scripture say about how I steward money that's been put into my hands? 
Can you pull up the Word in those categories? Is what the Word of God says informing the choices that you're making in those areas? What does the Word of God say about my marriage? What the role is? Rob covered this beautifully last week, roles of husbands and wives. Does the Word inform my behavior? How does the Word of God inform the way I think about my work, my job, my leisure? Do you have a rich file system in your head of the Word of God to inform your decisions. If we're going to live right, we have to think right, which means we need to be thinking like God thinks. And we can find that out by cracking open His Word. We also need the power of God's Word to fuel our imagination. We need the Word of God to give us vision and hope for the future, to be able to look at all of the, the areas of our life that aren't the way that they could be because we're in a broken world, and to look at God's Word and to see where God's purposes are going ultimately, where the kingdoms of this world are be- going to become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ, and to begin to imagine what I can do now that contributes to that day when all things are going to be made new. What, are the th- what does the Scripture say about my work where I can begin to make changes that bring God's blessing and serve people in unique ways and dream of the future of better ways of doing things? My marriage, my fill in, raising our kids, fill in, in the blanks on all that. But we need, we need not just truth, but we need the truth to stir our imagination and our dreaming. Because if we don't stir our imagination with the scriptures, guess what? All of the idols of our culture are gonna own our imagination and you're gonna go to the movies and you're gonna listen to songs and all of them are gonna be singing about a totally different value system. But as you listen to that song or as you're watching that movie, you find yourself caught up in that thing, don't you? And you start to think, you know, I wanna be like that guy, I wanna be like that girl, and that's kinda what it's all about, and it's nonsense. We've got to engage our imagination, okay? This is an old phrase, it's still so good. We're all concerned about being brainwashed, aren't we? But there's there's an old Christian rocker guy who used to say, brainwashed, my brains needed a good scrub. And, and that is so true, doesn't it? Every one of our brains need a good scrub. You don't need to worry about what the Word of God's gonna do to your mind. It's just gonna make things better, I, I promise you. It's gonna be good. And so to become whole disciples, we need our heads screwed on straight with the truth of the gospel. And that only happens as the Word of Christ dwells in us richly. And there's ramifications of this. It means that, that in our friendships, in our comp, we're gonna have lemonade and cookies afterwards. That'll be awesome. But if we're not careful, church culture can be very superficial. You know, we all look pretty, you know, we washed before we came this morning and 
we're all dolled up, and we all want to just say something great about how we're doing and what God's doing in us. But if we're not careful, we don't allow the Word of Christ to dwell richly in us by talking about the issues that are a challenge. And how would you handle this? And what is the Word? Have you, do you know any scriptures that apply to this? And we, we start to develop real biblical fellowship where iron sharpens iron and one friend sharpens his, his neighbor. And it, uh, we, we need help in this area, but the uh, Lord's not done. He's going to keep moving forward. But to, to become whole life disciples, to become whole disciples, we need our heads screwed on straight with the truth of the gospel. And that only happens as the word of Christ dwells in us richly. Third corner, our hands, our hands. We need gospel purposed hands. Becoming whole disciples isn't just about our motives and our thinking. And it it would be very easy in very good evangelical churches to think that the goal is just right theology. And let's hear for right theology. We've got to have right theology. But Jesus is after the whole person. And that means the why of my motives need to be informed with the gospel. I need the spotlight on the inner secretive, tricky drives of my heart and the Holy Spirit's at work in there to cleanse us and set us free. We do need clear theology. The truth sets us free, but we also need a gospel that informs every moment, that, that a situational gospel a gospel that speaks to the moment by moment of our lives. And if it doesn't do that, if we come in on Sunday morning and we can have the the biggest hallelujah time of of the month, but if we walk out and we have chicken buffet and we take a nap and we wake up and when we wake up, we flipped on an entirely different perspective of reality and we engage Monday morning and we engage our entertainment and we engage our money and we engage everything else through a totally different lens. We've got a problem, that's not real gospel. And the tragedy is we live in a world where the world doesn't respect the Christians anymore. It used to be that the Christians were the culture changers. They were the society changers. They built the hospitals. They did the orphanages. They were the champions of eliminating slavery. They were, they were the heroes. They were the, the people who made costly sacrifices for the good of society. Today, the Christians are just, you, you know, you can take any survey you want. You know what they're gonna tell you? Christians are hypocrites, right? People don't view from outside. People don't mind if we, you know, you have your little belief system, that's great. They don't mind you go into your little church, do whatever you want in there. But don't bring those ideas out into the marketplace. Don't bring those ideas into our workplace. Don't bring those ideas into how we run our government or how we do anything else because you guys are hypocrites, it doesn't work. It does work. The the sad thing, though, is we have a generation of Christians today that are not whole disciples and uh, probably need to 
change to, to not be hypocrites. <laughs> because there's a dichotomy, right? We're one, pe- one person when we're worshiping, we're a whole nother person. You know, one thing at 10 a.m. on Sunday and a whole different thing Wednesday at 10 a.m. Different guy, different, different person. Colossians 3, again, 3.17 says, whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whatever you do. One of the reasons why Christians don't shine in the world the way that they should is we, we've bought into this crazy idea that there are certain things in life that we do that have eternal significance. And then there's a whole nother chunk of stuff that really doesn't matter to God. And so what that means is the stuff that has eternal significance takes up about two and a half hours a week. And the the overwhelming majority of the rest of our lives, we think it just doesn't matter very much. And so church and community group and serving in some way, those are, those are all really eternally significant things. But, but, you know, changing the kids' diapers for like the fifth time in 15 minutes, you know, preparing dinner, going to work, working through issues with people that don't see things the same way that I do, managing my money, those things, they just don't, they don't matter to God. Well, guess what that produces? That produces hypocrites. It produces a bifurcated life, a dualism that destroys the integrity of the, uh, of the body of Christ and destroys the church's witness in society. It's nonsense. Martin Luther, one of my favorite guys, I I can't wait to meet Martin Luther in heaven. I'm hoping we'll have a cold one. Um, His humor is off color, just like mine is, unfortunately. I'm still working on it. I'm getting more godly. But I, I look forward to seeing Martin Luther. But he brought profound insight into this whole kind of thinking during the 1500s in the Reformation. And Luther said that when we ask God to give us our daily bread, we pray the Lord's Prayer, the Lord does give us our daily bread, but he doesn't do it all by himself. He doesn't just appear to us and present us a loaf of bread and say, there thou, my child, here is your loaf of bread, be thou filled and satisfied. No, he doesn't do that, does he? Because he's a good father and because he created children to share his image, to reflect his glory, he shares responsibility with his people. And so he provides our daily bread, but he does it through the farmer in the field, the most ordinary thing, like working in the field, through the milkmaid, the gal who is getting milk out of the cow. There's somebody there who's shoveling up the cow's mess. There's and it, all of these ordinary things, the shopkeeper who sells the bread and manages the money and pays the bill to the landlord of it. All of these things uh, work together. Today we would add the marketing people that tell you one kind of bread's better than another, the commodities broker, the, the truck driver and logistics people that get the bread where it needs to go the accountant who keeps you solvent and all of these important jobs if we see them from God's perspective are the hand of God and they're all a part of what God does in bringing us our daily bagel 
right? We need to value all these different things. And in teaching how God protects society, (coughs) Luther referred to Psalm 147, where it says that the Lord strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your children within you. Well, how does the Lord strengthen the gates of a society and protect the children? Well, the way he does it is through good government employees and and through an honorable mayor and city council people, local police, lawyers who fight to protect the rights of people and strong economic freedoms that, that help to create jobs. We've gotta got be careful that we never belittle any, any honorable job. If, you know, most of us clean our own place, but if we didn't, if we had someone help clean for us, there, you have to understand that if you didn't have that person clean for you, you would die. The cooties, the cooties in my house alone would kill all of us. All of us. You should see three days after cleaning out the refrigerator at my house, it, it, there is green stuff coming out of the walls and it's, it's flowing down onto the floor. If we don't clean, if, somebody, if you don't have somebody that cleans things, you're gonna die. If you don't have a garbage guy, can you imagine what one week would be like in Frisco, Texas, if they didn't pick up those big green containers? We'd all be dead, the place would be consumed with flies, the black plague would take over. Every honorable job has great dignity and great honor because it's an extension of God's good care for the world that he loves. Every job. Yeah, there you go, it's true. And we need to get retuned so that we don't just think the guy who's standing up here preaching, he's the guy that's making an eternal difference. No, that's nonsense. That means, if we're not careful, it means that our faith is a part-time leisure activity. I mean, really, how about if your husband, girls, if your husband came up to you and said, hey, honey, I think you're the best. I wanna marry you so bad, and you can count on me to be faithful Sunday morning from 10 till about noon, 12.30-ish, Wednesdays, 7, 9.30, quarter to 10, maybe if, if somebody's rude and we don't get out of there on time. Imagine, you'd say, take a hike, jerk, you know, right? But somehow we, we, we've embraced this concept of our faith that is part-time and puny compared to a gospel that transforms the whole person, heart, head, and hands. Again, it says, whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father, What? Whatever you do, in everything. Well, how, how do we do that? What does the scripture say in terms of how we actually do that? Well, it says what to do right here. It says to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're used to a Christian culture where basically, you know, that phrase is kind of what you say at, you know, in Jesus' name at, at the end of stuff. And, and we've kind of lost, you know, we thank the Lord for the chicken buffet in Jesus' name, and we 
uh, you know, thank the Lord for whatever it may be in Jesus' name. But to, to, do, to be who we are and to do what God's called us to do in Jesus' name means something really profound. Uh, to do something in someone's main, name means to represent them. It means to do it on their behalf. To, to faithfully represent the character of the person whose name you are representing, their intentions, their best interests. I've got a, a dear friend who's my lawyer. I've got, thank God for friends better. Thank God for friends that know stuff that I don't know. And so my, my lawyer buddy, he's got a very clear fiduciary duty. And that means that he better be really careful that he represents me. Now, he wants to. He's my friend. He cares about Sharon and I. He cares about our family. But he has a duty as a lawyer, a fiduciary, legal duty. And he'll go to jail if he doesn't fulfill that duty to know my heart, to represent my intents, and to be sure that every action that he takes is an extension of what I want done. And we've got to understand that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we've been entrusted with a great fiduciary duty. Every one of us, every single one of us, not just a few guys, not just community group leaders, not just fill in the blank, you, you, if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've been born again, if you're his, you have great fiduciary duties to represent the Lord's heart in all of the things that you do and all of your relational interactions. You've got a fiduciary duty to represent the Lord's thinking, both in understanding the big picture of what God's doing and how our small story fits into that, and also the specific details that we're called to live out in life. And we have a fiduciary duty to represent the Lord's hands as an extension of His good work and love in everything that we do. And this all leads to part two of my, my talk this morning. Jesus' whole life disciples means that we're becoming whole disciples in the whole of life. Everywhere, all the time, in, in everything. All of this inner work that God's doing in us is so that we can be involved in outer works of love and service for the glory of God and good of others. That's what we're called to do. Every one of us are called by God for good works that he's prepared for us in advance, Ephesians says. There's good work that he's called you to do. It really matters. And you've gotta know who you are and you've gotta be changed on the inside so that you can fulfill what you're supposed to be, to represent him and to do what he wants done in all of those varied arenas of our lives. And so we see four different key categories here. I mean, this is the big four. We probably aren't gonna be able to get through everything this morning. The clock is always ticking. But these are the big four. And the reason that they matter is because first of all, the scripture speaks to each of these areas and they matter because in each arena, they are designed by God to be a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
with at least the potential. Now, we live in a fallen world, so when you say different categories, you know, we can have a preconceived idea of it being a lousy thing. But in the ideal, in God's created design, they're beautiful. And they're, they're formed with leaders who have the opportunity to sacrificially love and serve those that are entrusted to their care. And people that are receivers of care that can honor and love and represent the leadership, whether it's in the local church with pastors and members, whether it's in our family with parents and children, whether it's in our workplace with bosses and employees, or whether it's in the government with leaders and citizens. They all can be, and again, we don't have the time this morning, but the scripture says a ton about every one of these areas. And though every arena is busted because of the fall, God is not done. And we, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just about getting me to heaven. We will go to heaven. Congratulations. But we're called to be a part of a gospel where Jesus Christ is declared as Lord and King and reigning over all arenas of life, where the kingdoms of this world, I said it earlier, become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he reigns forever. And our temptation is to think we're gonna jump out of here one day, you know, if you've got that kind of teaching where, you know, at some point we're all gonna pop out of here and escape the tribulation or whatever it is gonna happen. Nobody knows what's gonna happen, but. The Bible says that we're, here's how we're supposed to pray. Not, Lord, get me out of here. We're supposed to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Where, I mean, how does that apply to me? Well, that means let your kingdom come in this body of believers. Let your will be done here in earth, on earth. as it is. That means in my goofy little family, wait a minute, I'm, I'm leading this thing, it's hopeless. It's never gonna happen. No, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth, in my family, in my workplace, in my community. That, that's what we're supposed to be busy with. And so as we become believers, we don't just sit back and fasten the seatbelt of our church chair and just wait for the rapture or some nonsense. We're called to jump into the vocations and callings that God has entrusted to us to see his kingdom come where I am, where my heart is, where my mind can be at work for the glory of God, and where my hands are engaged Sunday, through, Sunday morning through Sunday dawn, 24-7. That's what we're called to. Rob did a great job of uh, focusing. I mean, the church, the church is so important, folks. Everything begins with the church. You know, before... I got married, I was a follower of Jesus, and I was joined to his family. I was a part of the local church. It was, it's, it, it's the biblical identity of a believer. When, when Sharon and I go to heaven, we're not married anymore, the Bible says. It's gonna end. And so our family, it couldn't be more important. It's so important. It's a huge priority, but it isn't where we begin. Our identity begins in our relationship with Jesus Christ and being built together with his people. Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. He doesn't say, I'm gonna build your family and the gates of hell will stand against it, or I'm gonna build your business, or I'm gonna build 
your American government. No, he says, I'm gonna build my church. So the church is the foundational place. It's, it's the, the first priority. And so as you look at the, at the, the letter to the Colossians, it isn't a letter to individuals. It isn't an individual message. It's written to a church of committed believers whose lives are joined together that Christ might be formed in them. It's a church where they're learning how the gospel forms their hearts and their heads and their hands. And you can look back to you know, the verses above in, in verse 12 through 17, all of the references of how the church context is the place that forms Christ in us. It, it, the reference to being chosen ones, it's, it's a plural, how we're part of the body of Christ, we're part of a body, we're, we're a small part of something bigger. All of the one another verses, the word you is plural. Nobody does well alone. And in bearing with one another, in forgiving one another, loving one another, in the local church, it, our hearts are transformed into a gospel heart. It's in those relationships, and so it's so important. And it means we don't dare have church where we just come and listen to somebody and leave and go eat chicken. It means where our lives are built together, or it's not biblical church. And there, there's just so much that God has in store for us as we learn how he wants to build his church to equip us for all of these other areas. It's in the local church that we hear the teaching of God's word where friends admonish us and help us with wisdom. That's why we need to be able to expand the stuff we talk about and get down to the nitty gritty together as real friends. It's in applying God's word to our many circumstances together as a church that God renews our mind and retools our thinking. And we need God's word to richly dwell in us. And that means you gotta be here. If you're a part-time church guy, if churches, if you can, you know, I don't know, score yourself. You want to do it, how you want to do it, like school, you want to do, you know, 190, 80, take a look at your time. How consistent are you? The church is the, you need the church. You need to be richly fed the word of God to equip you in all the other areas of life. If you're not here, you're not going to get it. You're going to continue to be, you know, one of those believers who, sadly, you're gonna look back with regrets. You have everything that God wants you to have in the local church to train you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to love you, and to help you to see clearly. Okay, family, Rob covered that last week. Let me, I'll fly through this. This has to be hit. Work. You can listen to last week to hear about the family from Rob. He did a, he did a beautiful job. There's huge cultural differences between what we see in the church in Colossae that Paul is writing to and 20th century Frisco. But there is so much of Paul's teaching that is totally transferable. We're not just to go to work for earthly bosses. It's, it's so easy to rationalize a half-hearted job or, or compromises when we're, the guy that we work for is you know, not that great, where he's, he's really not consistent. You could do his job better than he can, but we're called to work for the audience of one. 
We're called to work wholeheartedly as unto the Lord, to the, for the perfect boss who deserves our very, very best. And we're called to serve him with sincerity of heart, not just as people pleasers, but fearing the Lord. And the word sincerity, it's such a rich word. It, honestly, I could do a whole teaching for a couple of hours just on the word sincerity, but, but in a nutshell, the word sincerity comes from two Latin words, sine, sire, and what it means is without wax. Think, without wax, what the heck does that mean? Well, here's what it means. In ancient Rome, they build a lot of stuff with marble, right? And the marble dealers, if they were crooked, would see marble that they wanted to sell, but they couldn't because it was flawed, and they would heat up wax, and they would press wax into the holes in the marble so that when you looked at it and made a decision what you were going to buy, you couldn't see until you started picking, and then you said, I got robbed. This is junk. But if the marble was flawless, they would stamp it. Sine sire without wax. What you see is what you get. This is the genuine article. And we're called to serve the Lord with sincere hearts, genuine hearts. The word sincere also means singular, singular, one. The word integrity comes from the word sincerity. Same same root word, one, and it means that we're, we're not divided in our affections. We're not divided in our hearts. We're not divided in our thinking. That we're one person with one purpose given to what honors the Lord. And that oneness affects who we are in our heart, in our head, in our hands. We're one person. It means that who we are Sunday at 11 is the same guy that you are Thursday night when you're out on a trip somewhere, right? Uh, Singleness of heart, undivided, impassioned with one great purpose in Christ. And Paul repeats the same same command again from, from verse 17. He repeats it again in 23. Whatever you do, work at it heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord's Christ. And we need to ask ourselves, what's our reputation at work? What's, what do people think about our job? You know, we just don't want to be that Christian guy who leaves early and, you know, comes late because he's homeschooling or what. I mean, all those things are great, but we need to maintain it. We need to do a great job. A great employee isn't, a great Christian employee is not a guy who has a Bible on his desk. Put your Bible on your desk. If you read your Bible at work, put it on your desk. You got to put it someplace, Right? But just think, what, what does a, a good Christian worker look like in a given area? We, we joked in man-to-man here a couple of weeks ago with Stan and John Edwards about what, is, what does a Christian pilot look like? Well, it doesn't mean that he leads everybody in the sinner's prayer over the intercom, right? It mean, it, he has two primary responsibilities as a Christian pilot. It's to land the plane... Okay? And to be able to use it again. 
So you've got, you've got those two things. And, and there are, and so the work that we do is the goal in it. The work stands alone. Doing the work wholeheartedly for the Lord it stands alone. You're never going to be, nobody's going to be asking any questions. Nobody's going to care about you if you don't do a great job. We got to do a great job in what we're doing, whether it's work at home, whether it's work in our professions, whether we're retired and we're serving, so fill in the blanks, whether we're students. Okay. God's called each of us to be whole life disciples, which means becoming whole disciples in the whole of life. And one way that we want to serve the church in becoming whole disciples is through what we're calling grace at work. And grace at work is all about helping every one of us engage the other six days of life in the power of the gospel. To be whole people, to be one. The gospel changes everything. Our hearts, our hands, our hearts, our heads, our hands, and all the work that we do. Whether we're blue collar or white collar, whether we are moms raising kids or we're unemployed and working hard to find a job, whether we're students or retired and doing volunteer work without pay. We believe that the majority of our lives, which takes place outside of church meetings, including our work life, really matters to God. And it really matters to the people that you're called to love and serve in those arenas. And we want to affirm your work as a church. We want you to know that what God's called you to do is a high calling, that it matters to him and it matters to us and it matters to the world. And we want to encourage you and we want to help you to be able to do it better. And so here are just a few things that we'll be doing this fall and then I'll get you out of here. We'll go start drinking lemonade. I'm going to run to the first front of the line and swig a bunch. No, I won't. I'll be kind. I'm going to be love. I'm going to consider you more important than myself. But we've just gotten done. You can flip to the next slide. We just completed our men's summer series going through Tim Keller's book. We still have copies of the book at the cafe. People, read the book. Men, women, young people, read the book. It's tremendous. It'll really help to retool your thinking about how the gospel informs everything, especially the biggest chunk of our lives, which is our work. Okay, get that book. We just completed the series. We'll be doing something else soon, but uh, benefit from that. Don't let that, even if you weren't able to attend those meetings or you aren't a man, uh, please get that book at Benefit. You can download it on Audible and listen to it, coming and going from work. There's a lot of ways to skin the cat. But later this month, we're going to begin a course called Money Life, Walking in True Financial Freedom. And a biblical view of work includes an understanding of how money management and how financial stewardship leads to greater spiritual freedom and fruitfulness. We believe that this is one of the great needs of our city. And I told you about the conversation with Mayor Masso about this. But if, if, you, if it's an area where you need help, 
please sign up for Money Life. It'll begin September 22nd. The Money Life coaches are Brad Elledge and Beth Volka, very competent people who not only can walk you through the material, but sit down and help you work through a financial plan that'll bring you freedom and liberty, get you debt free if you've got debt problems, and help you to manage your money where you can live like God wants you to live and do the stuff that you're supposed to do and not be enslaved. It's a 10-week course. It includes a notebook, online resources, uh, software, budgeting software. It's great. If that's for you, please put that in your head. uh, You could be able to register on the church website here this week. In addition to that, beginning September 22nd, there's a lot happening on the 22nd. We're starting to make the most of our Thursday evenings. The women are offering uh, one of the Bible studies in the morning and another in the evening that week. So we'll have the money option. And then another class that we're going to be offering is is callings, discovering your God-given assignments. And a lot of people just don't know that what they're doing matters. They don't know what they should be focusing on. Though this class would apply for every adult in the room, it could be uniquely helpful for high school seniors, college people, before you go 50,000 bucks in debt and college. It'd be nice to know where you're going and why and have a clear perspective before another worldview tells you what you should be doing, okay? could rewind the tape and hear that part. But uh, we're just going to do a, a, a four-week uh, shotgun approach to that stuff. I'll be leading that class. Again, it's uh, the 22nd, and it'll be available on, on the city. The last thing is the Faith and Work Summit. There's going to be a wonderful event that's going to be hosted at the Galleria where leaders from all over the body of Christ in the country are coming together, leaders in the church, leaders in academia, leaders in every niche of business to work together and strategize how to bring the greatest influence for the gospel in the workplaces around the world. And uh, I've got the privilege of helping to serve and, and host leaders who are coming in from out of town. I need a team of people that, that can help me with that. So if you are, you're a great communications person, you've got a gift of hospitality, please talk to me about that. But that's something that we're going to be able to be involved in as a church. It'll affect some of us. It won't affect everybody. But it's an honor to be involved in it and to be a part of the bigger movement that's going on here, seeing the gospel touch every part of our lives and every part of the world. And uh, so it's a, it's a blessing. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org. Thank you.